Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, welcome to In The Pink, sponsored by Bose. Stay home, stay healthy, stay connected. Mm, that's interesting. And then this transition that you've made, you know, seemingly seamless to broadcasting. That's an interesting one. Did you expect to be as good as you are? I'm putting you into a corner here. You've got to now admit you're good. But did you expect it to come as easily as it does to you to be able to communicate that? Because you've kind of touched on the fact that you're perhaps a bit shy, you're a bit geeky, but somehow you do just talk so well to the viewers and you get you basically take very difficult points and simplify them. And that in itself is a huge skill. Uh, well, first of all, thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks for that. But I think, yeah, I, I think the key point is I love motor racing. I, I love Formula One. It's been, it's been the one love of my life ever since I was two, three years old. And I love talking about it to the point it bores my colleagues to death. Um, you know, I think, it, and one of the benefits for me was I started out initially working in Asia, where the level of knowledge of the viewers wasn't as high as it is in Europe. And, you know, my first broadcast I did was the 2004 Chinese Grand Prix, so a while ago. And I was only 20 years old at the time, and I was doing the, you know, main co-coms for, for, for the Grand Prix. And what I quickly realized was there was a lot of things that I was talking about that actually people even within the gallery who were working on the production didn't understand. And it took a couple of races for me to click, okay, hang on. Well, actually, my job is to take these things, which in my head seem really simple, but to simplify it even more to make sure that my mum and my grandmother at home understand. And I would often do that. I would often call my mum after a race and say, did you understand what I was saying there? And, um, you know, you... You, you know my mother, she's uh, not, not one for diplomacy. She very quickly say, well, that was useless. You know, what is the point of saying that? I can't understand. And uh, she was right, of course. And, um, you know, she, I still get messages from her saying, be more interesting in the middle of like a free practice session and stuff. So, <laughs> um, but, you know, we're, we're all... Anyone, anyone who doesn't know about Karine's mom, she is amazing. What she does is she sends tweets in capital letters and uh I, I love it because it's emphasizing her point and you just imagine her shouting the point down the phone which is what she clearly does to you as her son well i get them as whatsapp messages yeah just say you know you're very boring today say something funny 
and stuff like that, which, you know, it, we're all about constructive criticism in the Chandok household, that's for sure. So, um, I love it. And, and I think that was it because my background came from starting out working in Asia, then that came natural to me. You know, my, my thinking automatically switched into, right, how can I, because we, we have a tremendously complex, complicated sport. It's a, mm. uh, there's so many nuances, there are so many layers of, of technicalities, which frankly, people who tune in, let's say every two or three races, which is what the casual fans do, they're not going to get it. So it's, it's really important for us to, and that's not a reflection on their intelligence or their, their you know, level of understanding of sport. It is just to do with the frequency of how much someone like myself or you are uh, talking about the sport and are involved versus mm -hmm. they are in their day-to-day -day lives you know this is it's entertainment so to them because because we're so often in this bubble that we think that all that matters is the the, the sport and the various levels and then i'll come home and you know someone might stop me and say oh who won the race yesterday i go oh lewis they go oh thanks very much and that's all they want to know and you go what well, do, yeah. you know, do you want to know about the tire strategy <laughs> you know yeah. whatever else that we've absorbed ourselves in that weekend and i think you to probably a greater degree than anyone but you do just have this encyclopedic knowledge of the history of the sport not just the current modern day stuff but everything that's gone before like where does that passion come from well as i said you know f1 is it's been something that i've truly loved and i think we're very lucky in our sport that we have such a rich history with some amazing characters, uh, amazing stories, um, and you know, amazing technology. The evolution of the car and the race car has been fantastic to see. And I, I love reading about it, and I love um, you know, researching about it, and and talking to people from different eras and learning about the sport. Because I think for, for us to understand where we are as a sport and where we're going as a sport we need to know where we come from as well. And, you know, you'll suddenly find that there are a lot of similarities between what's happening today versus what happened 10, 15, 20 years ago, that, you know, things go in a cycle. Uh, for example, manufacturers come and go and, and the sport changes from, you know, being a completely manufacturer dominated sport to being completely about independent teams and independent engines. And, you know, all those sort of things come and go and, and same with drivers, you know, there's, there's so many things that you can learn about drivers from the past and the lives they led. You know, you, there's, there's um, some, some brilliant characters in our sport uh, who, sadly, I think a lot of people in the modern Formula One paddock don't know anything about. You know, mm -hmm. how many people know about Jim Clark, for example? When you walk around the paddock, how many people would know this was a guy who, in one, you know, we're all waxing lyrical about Fernando going off to do the Indy 500 and trying to win the Triple Crown. I mean, Jim Clark won the Indy 500 in the same year he won the Formula One World Championship. It's extraordinary. And that's something that I, I and I love reading about that and seeing how, learning about how that unfolded. Mm, absolutely. Now you went from Sky Sports to Channel 4 and then came back to Sky Sports. Um, what do you kind of make of the evolution, not just with the sport, but with the broadcasting of it in that brief time. So you've talked about the history of the sport, but what have you sort of enjoyed and learned on this 
sort of relatively short journey that you've done so far as a broadcaster? Well, I think that it, it, it's about knowing your audience. And this is what I've learned. Um, you know, I've worked now with five major broadcasters, uh, as you mentioned with Sky and Channel 4. I work with BN in the Middle East. Um, and every channel has a totally different audience. You know, the people who are paying their subscription fee to subscribe to Sky, they are your hardcore enthusiasts. They want to know about the latest front wing update. The, bro the, the viewers in Asia on Fox or the viewers in the Middle East, or frankly, the casual fan who watches Channel 4, doesn't necessarily care about the flick up on the barge board that you know, is sending Ted Kravitz into a 20,000 RPM spin of excitement. Yeah. Uh, that's something for the, for the fan at Sky. And yeah. I think that, that's, that's the one big takeaway I, you know, from having worked with all these different broadcasters that I'd say is, I've learned it's all about knowing your audience and, and trying to understand what that audience wants. And of course, that's a, that's a complete generalization, right? There are, you know, there are geeky fans on Channel 4 and there are casual fans on Sky. Of course there are, but you gotta, you got to sort of look to the majority for that. Yeah, it's an interesting one because I think it's quite a difficult line for us to tread sometimes because you don't want to become so technical that you alienate anyone that's perhaps, you know, peering over their partner's shoulder or their parent's shoulder wanting to get into this sport, who, who maybe they're the enthusiast. You want to put stuff into layman's terms sufficiently to draw new fans in. Because one thing I have a real issue with is the old fans who somehow look down their nose at new ones. And I feel like saying, hang on a minute, this is a beautiful sport and we want to open it up all the more. And we want to shake off the shackles of exclusivity and lack of access. And we want to say, come in everyone enjoyed the party but there's definitely an element of sort of snobbery if you like about the new fans coming in so i think it's tricky but we've got to try and cater for both haven't we well of course we do but i, I think you know things like the netflix documentary have been really interesting for that yeah because, you know i've got two or three people who live on my street who watch that and then thought oh we haven't watched F1 in years. I'll tell you what, we're going to get back into it. And they subscribed to Sky and got into it. But then when they tune into the first race, they suddenly realize that we, we don't get given the access that perhaps the documentary makers were given. And therefore, they almost come away slightly surprised with how little we're able to show of the stories behind the scenes. Mm. Now, I think the, the biggest problem is that, and, and we're not going to fix it because that's the way the world has gone, but the teams and the, the team's communication departments and the, the team management, they're all so protective of what the drivers and the team members say that everything gets filtered. You know, we, I, I look back to, you know, watching Senna and Mansell and Prost in the early 90s and late 80s. And, you know, Senna would have won a race and he'd basically sit there complaining about, this, that, and the other, and, and essentially saying the team hasn't been good enough and all the rest. And, and today, he would be ripped to shreds by, you know, the team management and, and the comms people and the sponsors and all the rest of it. But it's just, you know, th there's a real 
um, there's a real clampdown, isn't there, on, on the driver's freedom of, mm. of speech, really, in some ways. Um, and I think that's a bit of a shame. You know, when we, as we said, when I saw the Netflix documentary, or frankly, during lockdown, you saw them doing the virtual racing and stuff, and their inner personalities start to come out. <clears throat> and we know from, from, shall we say, off-screen conversations that there are some great characters and personalities on there. But even, even people like Daniel or people, you know, who, who like Max, who've got a real, real spark about them, as soon as the cameras are on, they're having to dumb it down because, mm. and, and I don't blame, don't, don't get me wrong. I think some of it is to do with this internet age we live in, isn't it? Where they say something off the cuff, slightly joking to you on Sky, but then there's some blogger somewhere who watches that, takes it out of context, and suddenly it becomes some internet phenomenon where, you know, he's slamming the team and this and that. And it's just, and I think that's the problem is that people who are so quick to do the clickbait headlines nowadays, um, it, it's taken away some of the character from the people within the paddock. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think it's down to us to to sort of humanize them because, you know, I think that's what Netflix did very well was that they, they, they showed us how they are superhumans. They almost deified them in the cockpit. And, but once they got out, they showed us they were normal lads. And I loved the depth that you got on each of their lives because you met their parents or their girlfriends and you got to see the enormous amount of sacrifice that everybody makes in order for that one guy to get, um, you know, onto the grid in Formula One. So yeah, it's it's great. And yeah, my, my brother and his wife, my brother's always loved F1, but his wife has never really been interested. And she watched the Netflix series and she watches religiously now. It's great, it's brilliant for all I, of us. I tell you, I mean, it's been an amazing time for sports documentaries, hasn't it? In, yes. In, you know, I watched the Michael Jordan one, the, the Last Dance. I saw exactly. there was one about the Australian cricket team, I think uh, yes. called The Test. It was ex- yeah. fantastic stuff. I mean, there have been some really, really good documentaries out there. But what does that tell us, Nats? Is we're all watching it, even though I don't really know a lot about basketball, because of the human story. You know, people at home are craving the human story. Yeah. But it, uh, we're not able to tell the human story because these drivers are being restricted by the time they're allowed to talk, you know, the time they're allowed to talk, the media is restricted. Everything is a chronic to a schedule. Um, you know, if you talk to someone like Steve Ryder, who broadcast in the UK, you know, he was the main presenter during the era of Manselmania. Um, you know, he tells a great story about walking around the, the infield at Silverstone. Mansell had just taken poll, crowd going wild, Manselmania, cover page of all the, you know, Fleet Street papers. And there's Nigel sitting... He's got a caravan in the infield. He's got a white picket fence around it. And he's just sitting there in a deck chair, chatting away to anyone who walks past and around it, whether it's fans or media or whoever. And, and that's gone. You know, now the drivers all go hide in their rooms and they hide in these motorhomes. I think, yeah, the sport has changed. And in this respect, I think not necessarily for the better. Thanks so much for listening to In The Pink. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast you've listened to so far. Please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. Check out our Instagram page at in underscore the underscore pink. And you get all the details there about how you can win some of those Bose noise cancelling headphones. And 
Join the community. We're all talking about the various guests that we've had on the podcast and who we'd like to see and hear in the next few weeks. So thank you for joining us. Stay with us. Stay healthy. Stay home. Stay connected with Bose. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.